This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Oh my gosh, everybody, you have arrived at another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table here. You know, there's over 2 million podcasts that have been started, and yet here you are listening to my little show, and I appreciate that. And today, we're going to talk about adaptive leadership and AI ethics. I know you're all thrilled, like, ooh, can't wait to talk about that, but our guest today is going to make it fun and entertaining, and you're going to walk away feeling like, wow, I have learned something. So today, we are joined by Marisa Zalabak. So Marisa, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to have some fun. I want to learn all about adaptive leadership. I have an interest in AI and AI ethics. So we're going to unpeel this whole onion and have a little bit of fun. But first, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to all of you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. Now, if you listen to this show regularly, you know that I work for Stanton Chase International, and I have found them to be one of the greatest companies to ever be associated with. So if you are looking to grow that senior leadership team, you want to call me because I will connect you with the best executive search consultant in your industry to help you find the right person who's going to make your company thrive. All right. So Marisa, if you don't know her, Marisa is one who works with leaders to help them be adaptive when the shit hits the fan, which let's face it, that is all of the time, probably. And she explains really hard things about technology, but she makes them simple and helps the people who are listening learn about that tech and why they should even care about it. So Marisa, let's get started on this. What is even adaptive leadership? I don't, I don't even know that I know what that is. What is it and why do we care? Well, welcome to the club, Tom, because there are a lot of people who don't know what it is. And there that was actually true of even me. The funniest part of this is that um, I was in leadership coaching for many, many years, and I had been using the term. I thought I made it up. I thought I was very clever, and I had made up the term adaptive leadership. And then about a year ago, somebody said to me, adaptive leadership, you mean high fits? And I said, you mean the violinist? And they went, no, you know, they went, no, right. Uh, it's uh, uh, Harvard. And I had no idea that there is actually was a whole program by Ron Heifetz, Marty Linsky at Harvard Kennedy business school for adaptive leadership. And I probably had heard it peripherally, but I didn't really know that it was a formalized thing. What I was very excited about is that when I went to go look, because of course I did, it was like, Oh, somebody else is using it. I better find out. 
I opened the door and found out that it was basically everything that I do already. <laughs> well, good. So good thing. A, good thing you had it right because otherwise you would have been teaching something totally different. Exactly. Well, it was a very serendipitous thing, right? I and so uh, there there are four elements, right? It's, it's pretty simple. There are four elements. The first one is emotional intelligence. Uh, the second one is organizational justice, and I'll explain each one of these. The third one is what they call development. And the fourth one is character. Um, I add two extra pillars, but those are the four that uh, from from their original framework. What are your two extra ones? My two extra are AI ethics, which I think are integral, and sustainability and regenerative business. Cool. So let's look right away at emotional intelligence. So, so yeah. what is it and why do I care? Well, that's one of the things I did my TEDx on uh, is social, emotional and creative intelligences, right? We have multiple intelligences and there's a lot of misnomer uh, and misconception about uh, EQ, right? Everybody's got EQ. And we know that, you know, Dan Goleman wrote a fantastic book, but it was based on other work, right? He was a science journalist when he first wrote about this. And he wrote about it because it would be really great for executives to know how to talk to people and how to relate to people. The thing is, emotional intelligence is used as this big umbrella, but in fact, what they're referring to is emotional and social intelligence. Emotional intelligence is when I know about myself. I understand my own emotions. I understand my own reactions. I understand the way I think, right? So it's about understanding self. Social intelligence is my ability to interact well with others, my ability to empathize, my ability to communicate, and my ability to handle conflicts, right? So those are elements that come on. And then there are multiple other intelligences, but that's that's the emotional intelligence branch. So a, a lot of people, my, myself included, are really good at sort of the social intelligence. I do really good at everything that you said there, but I had to learn the emotional intelligence and really understanding myself. I was really good in social situations, but I often didn't know how I presented or how I showed up and really who, who, who that side was. So I, I, had, I had half of that nailed just from birth. The other half I had to grow into. Well, and I also, I mean, I, and it is, I, that's actually a line in my talk, is nobody gets a certificate of completion in emotional intelligence, right? <laughs> but they, right, we just don't because crap happens in life, right? Things happen in life. And when things that are destabilizing happen, we adjust and adapt. I mean, that was Darwin's thing, right? Darwin went from survival of the fittest to survival of the most adaptable. Mm-hmm. Right. So as we adapt, when we have a loss, right, we have a a loss of someone important in our lives. It's going to destabilize us. And that we have to understand our we don't have to do anything, but we can learn to understand ourselves well enough to be aware of. I need to go back and do some work right now because things need some adjustment. Right. They need to be recalibrated. Um, And that's a lifelong thing. Right. That's not a that's not a like, oh, done. Check the box off. Yeah, no, I just I just buried it all away for the first 50 years. <laughs> and then the last five years, I've actually done that work to act to actually learn it. And it's funny, you you talk about that you you work with leaders and I made the joke that, you know, you help them adapt when the shit hits the fan. Hey, for a lot of us, the last two years, it was like a fire hose of shit hitting the fan because mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot going on. I mean, I watched a pretty successful decade long 
you know, public speaking career have a parking brake pulled. It, it, it didn't die. It didn't end. It's coming back now. And I'm getting, I've got, I've got new material. I'm probably going to look back in three years and say, wow, best thing that ever happened to me with those two years uh, where I had to, to retool and learn. But at the time, uh, it, it was hard. And fortunately, I had started doing some of that personal work before that, because if I had to start in March of 2020, I would still probably be only at the first step. But fortunately, I had started a couple of years earlier. So I was in the mode when I had to, to really deal with it two right. years ago. Right. Well, that's when you had already begun to develop agility, right? So that's when awareness and agility made you more adaptable. Right? So, so what is organizational justice? I love the sound of it, but I've never heard the term. Well, organizational justice basically comes down to that's what DEI is, right? That is what, and it's not just what DEI is because DEI is also not just DEI, but it is about being equitable. It's not only the intention to be equitable and just and fair in our business practices, but it is to be perceived as fair and just and equitable in our business practices. And and who are we being perceived as being fair to? right? Who are we being ethical to? So we always want to really, it's complex. These are complex things. We can begin though, going at them. We can begin to develop them though, in very simple, basic ways, real simple, basic steps, but it does require, it requires a lot of constant and continual evaluation of our own perceptions of fairness and other people's perceptions of fairness. The next one was, was it deliverables? I'm doing this from my memory. No, it's a good D word. Uh, development. Development. I knew it was a right. D word. You're, you're, yeah, and close, right? Uh, development. And what they actually mean by that is lifelong learning. And if there was ever such thing as a poster child for lifelong learning, it would be me. So this is something that I do. It's also something I teach, right? I, I, I teach many different classes. And most of them I've had to unlearn what I already do. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book right now uh, on unlearning. But the uh, right, we have to unlearn to learn again. And I'm an educational psychologist by training, so this is part of why this these these kinds of things are they've been part of my zeitgeist, right? They've been part of how I have operated um, and and my world for a while. But it's an ongoing learning, and not just saying like the head of Google, of you know, we're, we're all in growth mindset. We've all got to be learning something new. It's you just saw the head of Google come into the building and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I have to figure this out here. I have to learn something new. So we're, it's about leadership modeling learning. So, so what's in, talking about it. What's interesting is you started to say that you've had kind of an eclectic background. And so let, let's talk about that. Where, where did you start? And how did you get to where you are now? You said you've done many different things and you had to unlearn some things. Uh, you from our conversation before we started recording, you've had kind of a of an eclectic background. So let's walk us through sort of the life yeah, of Marisa. I, I, did, I did a talk on this recently as well about the unique human potential. So I have because people are like, well, where did you learn that? Um, so I've been a performing artist. I was a professional performing artist for many years. Before that, I did all the things that people do when you're trying to be a performing artist, right? I worked in television as a producer, waitress. I waitressed, I cooked, I was a hairdresser, you name it, I did it. Then after that, though, I owned a women's fitness center 
uh, in New York City. I did that. I worked as a, uh, a teacher. Then I worked as a curriculum developer. Then I ended up being a racial and social equity trainer for the uh, for uh, 350 schools in the New York in the New York area, then I became a leadership uh, coach, uh, and then I well, that's about that. There are a couple more that I've missed in there, and then of course there was of course being a mother, which you know people who don't think is a job but is a job. Oh no! Oh um, no! 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 That's probably the hardest job. You know, it's like yeah. I, I made a proclamation when I turned 50 that I was going to make age. 50 to 75, the best years of my life. And my daughter looked at me, she was 20. She goes, what, what was wrong with 25 to 50? And I go, I was raising you. That was hard. It's hard. And so interweaving all of that, and then a, a researcher, and I've also now gone into AI ethics. And it's, you know, how I've ended up at each one of these things is there's, of course, stories too, because life is filled with stories. Um, but each thing has led me to the other. And there, in fact, are dovetails between all of the areas that I've worked, which is why, you know, to me, the adaptive leadership framework that I looked at and I went, oh, right. Well, that makes complete, that's completely aligned with what I do. Um, so I, a number of things uh, that I've done over the years. Well, and that's sort of a nice entry to the last of the four uh, pillars, although we'll touch your two additionally, but, and that was character. And so mm -hmm. what I, I would think that in order to do so many different things and build upon it, character becomes sort of a stepping stone, a foundational part to all of that. Is that true? It is. And the thing is, it's much more uh, many faceted than people think of it. You know, I, it's, I, I, I don't, my, I, I avoid saying something is wrong or that's a way wrong way. I think it's a different way of thinking the whole business of, you know, the, these are the three traits a great leader has, or these are the five traits that, right. We all have a, a lot. Now the, the average is around 27 that's agreed on internationally of 27 character traits that wow. we can they can go in the categories. That's a lot. Right. So, right. So you can have discernment, humor, right, uh, uh, patience, right? But the, the list goes on and on. And we all have many of these to greater or lesser degrees. But like that social-emotional competence badge, <laughs> we don't get a final badge on character. Character is something that shifts and changes. So, for example, you were mentioning the, what happened during the beginning of the pandemic. So at the beginning of the pandemic, and I've heard this over and over and over again when I'm teaching classes, people say, patience was not my virtue before the pandemic. But patience as a character trait really rose up in me, right? And then there's an adaptability to it beyond that, not just where I am now or in phases, but today, do I need patience and humor? And tomorrow, I might need discernment and determination, right? That which is appropriate for the moment versus there is not a blanket. Uh, so that's what I, when I'm talking about character, I'm talking about the ability to tap into the character traits you need right now. Sure. And you've got to be able to adapt, thus adaptive leadership to be able to, to, to manage what's needed for the actual situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So you have two additional, I don't know if we call them pillars or, or, uh, mm -hmm. or, or what, but, and one is AI ethics. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today. So I love the idea of AI scares the shit out of me a little bit, but 
What is AI ethics and why is this something that executives and companies need to really be aware of? Well, it's first of all something, well, it's not just something uh, uh, executives need to be aware of, but they definitely do. So I'm co-chair of of a committee with something called IEEE. IEEE is the largest professional engineering organization in the world dedicated to humanity, right? So that's a lot of words, right? So in any case, I I was a co-author of a group with them or a contributing author. I can't say co, it was a large group of recommended standards for the design of AI related to human well-being. Now the committee I'm on, I'm a co-chair of, and that's about expanding AI ethics education. So thus your question, and this is why I talk about this a lot actually on, on several shows. So AI ethics, what is surprising to many people, it was to me because I can be naive, is it. Most engineers have not had AI ethics courses. The so people designing the stuff didn't take AI ethics. And if they did, it was a perfunctory class. Some places, more and more, that's beginning to happen. On top of that, you have startup people, right? Startup engineers who didn't go to formal education at all, who so definitely didn't have any AI ethics designing stuff, right? Then on top of that, you have business leaders. This is where we get to number three. They have business leaders who are developing, producing, and mobilizing AI. Then you have consumers, adult consumers, right? And then you have children K through 12, which eventually we're going to go. I mean, it's a big scaffold, but that's where we're headed with it. The thing is for business leaders, business leaders very often will say, and I understand because it's kind of an old model, is to say, oh, my IT people are handling that. And the reality is you don't have to be the coder. You don't have to. I'm not an engineer. You don't have to be the coder. You don't have to be an AI expert. But to understand the questions of is what we are making, developing, producing, and mobilizing, is it ethical? And and whose ethics, right? And I'll give you a very uh, concrete example, right, of... An ethical question in production of AI. Uh, Siri and Alexa. One of the reasons you're not hearing them respond is they're not on. (laughs) So, right, is that we, the design of Alexa, we have three-year-old children yelling, barking orders at a woman's voice, at an adult woman's voice. Now, Part of that was a conscious marketing tool because I'm sure that they tested it out and the people said, no, I would really rather it was a woman's voice than a man's voice. So, so real, real quick sideline. I am friends with the woman who was the original voice of GPS and then the original voice of Siri. Um, it was the, 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 same, the same voice recordings was used for the, the old GPS recalculating. Uh, Karen, she's an Australian woman and they picked an Australian woman's voice because that's what tested the best. And then she had to like move to a small town that had a sound studio. And she spent like three months recording every word in the English language and every phrase and syllable and sound that the voice could make. And it was tested that an Australian or or New Zealand woman's voice would be the most soothing. So yes, somebody probably tested that. Right, so they tested it from a marketing standpoint, but they didn't consider it from an ethical standpoint. 
So they didn't w- consider what, so what when you the talk about I was going to say, I've never thought about this before, but you said kids ordering this adult woman to turn on the TV or play me some music or whatever. That has repercussions. Never has crossed my mind until you just said that. Well, it wouldn't have crossed my mind before I got it. The thing is, it's most of us haven't thought that way because that's not a way we've been thought. It's not it's just not been a line of inquiry for us. And the thing is that we learning how to ask ethical questions, beginning to say we're using AI to hire people, right? And this is for leaders as well. And the bias that is in the out built into the algorithms and the algorithmic systems are not even there. They are because there are human beings programming them, but it goes beyond that. It goes to actually there's historical algorithm bias built into algorithms. So it's not even the person who's designing it new. There's been such a legacy of the bias built into it that it's just embedded in there. So, this is, it's huge. This is one of the reasons the woman who was head of, of AI at Google quit, right? Because it had to do with the ethics and in the bias of AI. That's a very big issue affecting, uh, affecting uh, business owners around the world. And whether it's business owners, government, schools, is that how are we, how is bias? And that's not just racial bias. It's social bias. It's gender bias. There's a number of biases Mm -hmm. that are built into AI. So when we begin to ask these questions, um, we want to always begin knowing that I, you know, saying which questions have been asked and let's take a look at which questions are there. And then there's analysis in those things. But at least being aware that this is something we should be participating in. Boy, this could be a whole show unto itself, I think. There's so many There's so many questions about that. Uh, I want to finish up the direction we're going. We have one more pillar. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. Good. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really interesting people who are making waves in business like Marisa Zalabak. So Marisa, the last pillar was sustainability. Mm-hmm. So and we're going let's well. Talk about sustainability that. is right. We'll we'll start at sustainability, and then we're actually even moving into regenerative businesses now. But um, what we go is right with many people. Most not many, not most, but more and more most is triple. People understand triple bottom line, right? So triple bottom line is is making a profit by serving people in the planet, regardless of whatever business you're doing, right? You can think of that from a financial sector, from and pretty much any sector, you can think that way, right? But taking it beyond that, it goes from net zero, right? This is so regenerative says you go from not just sustainable, because right now there's many people who would argue this. I'm not one of them. Um, is that w- the way that things are happening on the planet right now are not sustainable, right? We know the numbers that are coming out and, right, and so emissions and all of that that are coming out. So we're not sustainable at this point, which means that we have to go from net zero because people go, well, if we just do net zero, we'll be okay. We actually have to go to net positive, 
We actually, what regenerative businesses says, and there are companies like Danon, uh, Danone, um, uh, Levi Strauss is extraordinary at regenerative. There's some real leaders and there are uh, leading thinkers in this are people like John Elkington, brilliant, Margaret Heffernan. They're really brilliant writers on this um, and, and practitioners. But really beginning to think of business of how do we contribute. And, you know, there are many, uh, I, wa- I don't want to call them mistakes. They're just kind of faux pas that we make because we didn't know, right? We didn't know what we don't know. We can't fix so an example of something that felt like it was doing enough to contribute were emails, right? We go, we're not going to send paper anymore. We're going to send emails. The thing is, I didn't know this. Emails have a carbon trail. There's a carbon footprint to the emails. And there's a, there is an actual calculation of this many emails is equivalent to this many flights around the world. Wow. I, well, that uh, that I'd not heard before, but I definitely know that they talk about the the carbon trail of all cryptocurrency is the amount that it takes to power the computers that are running crypto is actually creating more of an economic problem than just about anything else that's out there. And it was like, I, I never had thought about that. But it, I, right. Those and it's that's completely connected. That's in, in the same vein. Right. So the Internet takes uh, electricity, anything that c- requires electricity right now, which is why we also want to see if we can take electricity from solar power versus the traditional from oil and coal and those things, right? So it's it's complex stuff. And a lot of people are like, you know what? It's way too much. I don't want to think about that. It's just way too much. And I get it. I really do. I get from an emotional perspective how that feels overwhelming simultaneously I have a kid and I care about whether or not she has, she has a whole life. So that's part of what drives me to keep learning about this because these were things that I didn't know about. Right. And a couple of years ago, you were talking about, you know, a couple of years ago you were in one place and then you're in another, a couple of years ago, I wasn't even involved. Four years ago, I wasn't even involved in AI mm-hmm. in any way, shape or form. But I've done a deep dive and I've done my homework and I, right. And this is where the lifelong learning, right, comes in. And where if we do want to leave a, leave a legacy, and there are people, it's funny because there are people who say, well, does everybody care about leaving a legacy? And I thought, I kind of think so. It's like they went, well, you know, if they don't have kids. And I went, I don't know if I've ever talked to anybody. I mean, I'm sure there are, but I haven't talked to anybody so far who says, you know, I don't care if anybody remembers me. Yeah. I don't really care. Right. Like, I don't care if I'm remembered. I don't care if my life meant nothing. There are a few people, but I would might argue that there's some depression there. The, the, right, the thing is, we all want to do something. And well, well, I, I agree. And one of the things that, that I've been teaching my clients of late is that you know, we have this huge problem in our society right now, and, and you can call it a lot of things. I call it disconnectedness. And mm-hmm. it is that, you know, because of all the technology we have, we thought it was all going to bring us closer together. Facebook was supposed to bring us closer together. And yes, we were able to reconnect with people from kindergarten, but we know them on such a superficial level that we're actually less connected to the people who live in our same house. And the cure to uh, to this, you know, this this issue is a feeling of belonging. And yet we're not doing the things we, we need to do. And when you were talking about that, it reminded me 
of, you know, this, this is a thing It's everybody wants to belong, right? It's like you said, everybody wants well, to leave yeah. a legacy. Every, it, nobody says, oh, you know, I, I, people sometimes claim, oh, I'm a loner. And then you look at their life and they're really not. And, you know, there's some, there's at least one, they have somebody in their life. They have some people in their life they want to make a difference to. People want to belong. They want to make a difference. Uh, they want the world to be a better place because of them. And so I, I, I hold you up in what you said with big thumbs up that I think that everybody wants that. Sense of belonging is one of the major uh, foundations of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? What does any, every human need? And if you take it away from, not, it's not a way, it's actually just a jump from Maslow to, to the five psychological needs. So five, humans have five psychological needs, safety, security, belonging, respect, and love. That's it. That's the five. And safety and security are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. But safety, security, belonging, respect and love. And I can belong, but not feel love. I might feel respected, but not feel right, not feel I belong. Right. So these are the five basic needs. And so when we don't have those, when we haven't had the opportunity, right, to have those. Um, And there are ways to do that. That's also part of developing emotional intelligence. That's part of developing social intelligence, even MIT. So I'm a member of um, the Presencing Institute at ULAB. It's the ULAB Presencing Institute, uh, which is, was produced originally by MIT. And it's th- one of the main things, uh, tenets of that work is really developing connection. How do we develop human to human and eventually i i'm going to i'm going to propose we probably will develop some human to machine connection which is another subject completely which goes back to ethics probably it does but it's also it goes back to ethics but it's an interesting debate and there there are there are some really white camps way out there but i want to i don't want to ever kind of discount that you know saying oh well that's not going to be possible because we know that it is. Oh, I mean, I mean, I, I mean all, all you have to do is go back and say, you know, in my lifetime, right? I was born the year Star Trek came out. That's that's right. my my claim to fame is Star Trek and I were both born in 1966. And but- if you and if you look at everything, you know, in Star Trek, now I I clearly wasn't watching it that year, but uh, the reruns five or six seven years later, you just look at you know the the tricorder, you know, was. Uh, the, the, the way they just would rub the thing over the, the patient and Dr. McCoy would know what was wrong with you. Well, now we have apps on our iPhone that can track our diabetes and can track heart disease and can track things. It's really, our iPhone is becoming the tricorder and it was like the communicator was the flip phone and Lieutenant O'Hara had the little thing in her ear. Well, that was how, you know, that's how we listen to our iPod now. You know, uh, everything that was there supposed were, to be what? fantasy is reality. Well, it's, you know, it's funny because I always say when I was in high school, the only computers were the size of a room. There were no personal computers. They didn't exist. Well, I heard a, I heard a stand-up and comic. So well, I heard a stand-up comic the other day. I wanted to share this with you. Say uh, something to the effect of, you know, in 1969, they used, uh, they sent a man to the moon using their hands. You know, I mean, yeah. basically, you know, they use slide rules. Yeah. No, and it's, and the thing is we can still, there, to me, I believe very much there should be a partnership, right? And that we can have a partnership, but that involves really being ethical about our choices. Although I did, one thing came to mind as you were talking about Star Trek, because it does make me laugh in, in our virtual world. When I teach, cause I teach a lot on zoom, I teach, you know, big classes mm-hmm. on zoom. 
when I send people to breakout rooms, I always go, you know, so we're beaming out and we're going to, you know, and we're because that's what it feels like, right? We've just beamed out. We've beamed in because I was, yes, I was a kid when Star Trek, uh, I was, I was 10 when Star Trek, uh, no, I was older. You didn't have to admit that on my show. It's all good. (laughs) I don't care. I don't care. The thing is, you know, for me, age is, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm really fine with my age. I am too. I am too. Yeah. So I will tell you that I looks like I could talk to you for an hour about all this, but I, I want to wrap it up with this. Everything we've talked about is a little bit heady. It's a little bit like, wow, that's smart stuff. And I'm just a guy listening to this. Can you boil down everything we've talked about in the last half hour into like two minutes of why businesses need to care about everything we've talked about, about adaptive leadership, about regenerative business and about AI ethics? Um, great question. We, I, the, and I'm going to bring it back to something that's very human, which is that we think in this escalated world that we need to be only concentrating on big, heady issues. And in fact, what we need, I believe very much that what we need to do is come back to how we're going to be human with each other. And that all of the things that I'm talking about are elements and ways that we can be more human, develop organizational cultures, develop practices where we're more human with each other so we can be joyful, so we can play, so we can have an enjoyable time and really begin to think about living in the future in a way that isn't filled with anxiety, but filled with uh, potential and filled with possibility. I, I refer to myself as a dedicated optimist. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, Marisa, if anyone was listening to this and they're like, I got to know more about this lady. This was fabulous. How do they find you? They find me at openchannelculture.com. 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 And I even have something called the Human Arts Lab, Hell, which is very funny. <laughs> Um, but, uh, and they can also definitely find me on LinkedIn, which is where I'm very, uh, very active. Uh, so they can find me there, um, you know, and just reach out. Happy to, happy to see them. They can watch, go on to YouTube and watch my talks. Great. It's Marisa spelled like Marissa Zalabak spelled Z-A-L-A-B-A-K. So you can find her there as well on LinkedIn. So, uh, Marisa, thank you so much for joining us here on Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. I had a ball. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. You know what? I say it every week. If it wasn't for the audience, why would I do this podcast? We are up to 704 episodes and we're not stopping anytime soon. So tune in every week because we're going to bring you more interviews with people who are really smart, who are making waves in the world of business. So now go out there, shake your, shake your business muscles. Make sure that you're building something that works for you. While you're out there doing all this work, have some fun along the way. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.